Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, we're talking about church and state. That's what we talked about for about two hours this morning, and we were reading the uh, letter that uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote uh, to a uh, an association, a Baptist association of churches and ministers. They had a board, and... Uh, we explained a little bit about why he wrote that particular letter and some of the key elements of that letter that most people do not understand today, and everybody can look it up. Uh, they can just check it out themselves. Uh, we have links at Preparing You Now with that Church and State article. And uh, I was wondering if I was looking at that. I'll probably set this up so that it can... The article, you can find it if you write in church and capital S-T-A-T-E and church and small letter S-T-A-T-E. And so I I got on this subject because PragerU was saying that, you know, that the the founders did not intend that the church be completely separate from the state and that uh, we need this moral group to be a part of a free society, and they're somewhat right. But the reality, there is no phrase church and state. <laughs> it doesn't talk about church and state. It talks about make no laws respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. It's talking about religion. It's not talking about the church. And you say, well, wait a minute. That's what church is. It's all about. It's about religion. Well, no. There is an element of religion in church, but then what is religion? And we went through the definition of religion at the time Thomas Jefferson was writing his letter to this association. And at that particular time, religion was defined in Bowie's Law Dictionary as real piety in practice, comma, consisting in the performance of all known duties to God and our fellow man. And, of course, we explained it further, but our duties to our fellow man, based upon our duty to God, which is obedience to God, that's all we need to do is obey God. And that may take on a lot of different uh, ways in which we obey God. Uh, We would adhere to the principles of God and, and, you know, be fruitful and multiply and not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. (laughs) And even the Ten Commandments aren't really commandments that where God is commanding you do this and do that. It's an explanation of how the universe works. And uh, we've done a lot of programs on that explaining what the Ten Statements, 
which they call Ten Commandments. They're actually just statements, God explaining. If you want your days to be long upon the land, you need to honor your father and your mother, which doesn't have anything to do with obeying them. It has to do with fattening them, taking care of them. If you want your days to be long upon the land, you have to take care of your parents. Uh, keeping holy the Sabbath has nothing to do with counting to seven or six or uh, taking off Saturdays or taking off Sundays. It has to do with debt. That's why they go into the big long explanation of the fact that you work six days and then you take your time off, your vacation, your free time. Because you've earned the right to do that because you work first. Yeah, Sabbath is simply about debt. It's not about counting of days. Uh, not making any covenants with them nor with their gods has to do with swearing oaths and making contracts and giving the power of choice, your power of choice granted to you by God to somebody else to make choices for you. And almost nobody does that except for they're extremely slothful or they, you know, think to gain something. You know, like entering into consent with somebody who say, let's all have one purse. Let's all set up a social estate where we all own everything together. And then we will look privately for the blood of those people who we will take more from than, than we have a right to. But we have a right to it because we set up this legal one-purse system of socialism. And now we can, if somebody works real hard, we can take away their surplus. And we explain that socialism is not the means of production owned by the people. It's the means of production owned by the collective and controlled by whoever rises to power in the collective. <laughs> that's, that's why communism always fails is because it lends itself to somebody rising to power. And of course, anybody who studied the historians like Polybius or philosophers like Plutarch would know the greatest destroyers of freedom are those who give, uh, grant gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And anybody who read the Bible and studied Christ and wanted to be a follower of Christ would know that you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. And you know why you don't want to do that. Because... That's a covetous practice. You're, you're desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And you will become a human resource. It actually translates as merchandise, but it's the same thing. Your labor will now be owned by somebody else. You will not own your labor. You will return to the bondage of Egypt. Remember the bondage of Egypt? 20% of your labor belonged to the government. All your gold and silver belong to the government. Your land, your animals, everything belong to the government. And you are happy. <laughs> That's what Klaus Schwab's. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. You'll be in the bondage of Egypt. Now, I'm not so sure about being happy. But you think you're happy now. Because you got all these wonderful benefits from government. Now, although you're starting to feel the sting of this stupid idea of giving the power of choice to government, expecting to get, you know, 
all kinds of, you know, fill your house with treasure. That's what Proverbs is talking about, the one purse. You, and and uh, Proverbs, uh, where it talks about if you sit and eat with a ruler, sit at the table of a ruler to get the benefits of the ruler, what the New Testament called the wages of unrighteousness, because the ruler is going to take from your neighbor so you can have stuff, which is clearly a covetous practice. Proverbs tells you to put a knife to your throat if you be a man of appetite. You don't regard any of those things. Generally speaking, people who think they're Christians don't regard any of those things. And of course, if you go back in time, in your way back machine to Thomas Jefferson, he knew religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. The fulfillment of your duties to society. Which is why he talks about duties at least three places in that letter. He mentions the word duties. Because he understood that religion was a duty to take care of the needy of society. It's not about the church being separate, although the church should be separate. But the reason the church should be separate from the state, capital S-T-A-T-E, is because the church is the called out by Christ to not be a part of Rome. My kingdom's not of this world. Uh, he, he talks about his followers not being of the world, using a word meaning constitutional order and system of government. But they are a part of a government. They're the government of the church. Because he appointed, he, he took his call out and he appointed to them a kingdom. Now, a lot of home churches say, oh no, we have to get rid of the institutional church and everything. But that's because they go to the priests of the state. To get their daily bread. They don't pray to God for their daily bread. They pray to the men who exercise authority one over the other. That call themselves benefactors. Absolutely contrary to the direct statements of Christ. You see the problem? Now, I bring this to home churches all the time. And they they have no argument against it. They just go silent. Like the deer in... Your headlight, just stand there and stare back at you. You mean, I'm not really a Christian? Yeah, you're not really a Christian. You don't really believe in Christ. You're not following the Christ. You're not seeking the kingdom. You're seeking the benefits of Nimrod and Babylon. Now, there's a solution to actually, which is simply to actually start, for, you know, doing what Christ said. Cool. And so we went through that. And, of course, eventually we got down to the word worship. And I explained to you that the word worship, they changed that definition too. Because just like religion went to how you took care of the needy of your society, pure religion to do that is do it without the help or assistance of the constitutional orders and systems of government or those benefactors who exercise authority. So you have to take care of all the needy of your society by charity, which is the word they translate into love, which is how you love your neighbor is to provide for his true needs. Yeah, I just heard a story about a guy who evidently got millions of dollars and he he opens up his house to all kinds of people and he's supposedly trying to help them because they need help. But they just use him and walk all over him because he doesn't know how to help them. Christ knew how to help them. And, and it's tough love. 
It's not giving them everything they want. It's giving them everything they need. And what they need more than anything else is truth. See, you got all kinds of ministers out there tickling their ears and say, Oh, you're saved because you said you believe in Jesus. I'm not going to burden you with what Jesus said to do. I'm just going to say you're saved because you said the magic words. It's just not true. It's just a, it's just a strong delusion. It's just tickling your ears. You're not saved. You're, you're in, your soul is in danger. And you need to repent. So back to worship. How did they change? So religion is, is not just what you think about God. God doesn't change with your opinion. Religion is the performance of your duty, which is exactly what Jesus said. You don't say, Lord, Lord. Religion is not just what you think about God. Religion is becoming a doer of the word. It's actually taking care of the needy of society. So, therefore, when it says make no law respecting the establishment of religion, it doesn't say respecting the establishment of a church, but religion. Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. They're talking about the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Now, if you organize a church the way Christ said, because Christ was one of the greatest legal minds in history, you will be able to continue to operate your church under the protection of Jesus Christ during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire or the present Roman Empire. Very interesting. I got that out. Uh, and I don't know that it's being recorded <laughs> at the studio. Because <laughs> according to my uh, board here, it's not recording that. So that's the secret, secret information that you really need to know. And worship, worship is not the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration that the home churches and many of the uh, modern churches think they're doing when they go to their church and sing their songs and express a reverence and adoration of Jesus Christ and, and God the Father. That's not what worship used to mean. Worship was actually and meant homage and submission to the will and rank of a superior. Not me, but to God the Father. Because the I operate according to the perfect law of liberty. So if you actually start worshiping Christ, you're going to actually be a doer of the word. And you're going to have to be a doer of the word in compliance with the will of the Father, which is that you should not covet one another's goods. So you're going to have to take care of one another, as John the Baptist said, as Jesus said, as as Paul said, as Moses said, by love, by loving one another, by taking care of one another. Well, you can't do that with 10,000 people unless, because you don't know who's getting what. You can't exercise tough love. Because you'll have people that come by and say, oh, we need all kinds of help and we need all, you know, we lost this and we lost that. And you'll find out they have more money in the bank than you do. And they're just liars. So, you have to organize in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to know what's really going on. You have to, and the process of doing that requires that you forgive one another, you care about one another, that you're patient with one another, that you don't judge one another. You're constantly asking God, what's the truth here? You'll ask your neighbor, what's the truth? He'll tell you. But then you have to go and ask God, is that really the truth? 
And if you think it's not the truth, then you have to confront him or confront him with, what does it say in the Bible? If somebody cheats you or if somebody lies or whatever, you go to him and say, you know, you cheated me, you lied, you, you're not what you say you are. And if they don't listen, then you go with somebody else. Where are you going to get that somebody else? Well, that's why you sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Because you not only have somebody else to go with you and confront him with the lies that he's presenting... You could actually have three guys to go with you, or four guys, or five guys, or six guys. And you're amazing when you start confronting people with that kind of truth, that you're actually going to get the truth. Just amazing. So, the other thing is, uh, that we were talking about in this process of church and state. And I, I went through the section of the letter. And, and we'll eventually put the, the morning recordings up if you miss those. They will be there. That will be the first two hours. That he's talking about this friendly disposition of the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore to man all his natural rights. Convinced that he has no natural rights in opposition to his social duties, which is his social virtues. I should put a link there because we have an article on social virtues. Because it's through those social virtues that you recreate, you recreate the social bonds of a free society, which you will need during hard times. So anyway, this is, this is the case 200 years ago, this is the case 2,000 years ago, it's the case 4,000 years ago. It's what Abraham taught, it's what Moses taught, it's what Jesus Christ and John the Baptist and Paul taught. But people don't get it because their head thinks religion is what you think about God. So they'll sit around and argue what they think about God and they will avoid actually fulfilling the duty to God and the fellow man, which is to love thy neighbor as thyself, not covet thy neighbor's goods, not send men to your neighbor's house to force your neighbor to contribute to what you want, free school, free this, free that. But that's where you're at. So, like I say, Jefferson mentions duties several times. He mentions social duties. He mentions rights of conscience. He mentions uh, with friendly disposition. Uh, excuse me, friendly dispositions. And he also mentions the restoration of your natural rights, which is where you have to go if you want to be a free people under God. You also need God in your corner. And and I'm, I'm lacing in what that looks like. But at, at the time that... Jefferson was writing this. Many people sought the disposition of social utopia. Well, actually, not when Jefferson was writing it, but when Christ came, let's put it that way, and John the Baptist came. uh, And they talked about repenting, thinking differently. And I'm showing you what that thinking differently looked like. And the seeking of the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, which is a system that operates by faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and fealty. Because Babylon uses force, fear, and fealty. And we've seen a lot of fear with the COVID uh, fiasco and nonsense. Uh, we've seen a lot of force with that. We're probably going to see more. We certainly are seeing a lot in, in uh, communist China. And that's the same spirit. What you see going on there is the spirit that wants to control everything here. And they will get to that point eventually. 
But at that time, a lot of the people that this was coming about back there in the days of John the Baptist, a lot of people were trying to set up a utopia. Herod had done it. Uh, Augustus Caesar was doing it. You know, by the use of force. Uh, now, Julius Caesar started it, although he was never, you know, an emperor. He was a commander-in-chief, but of limited forces. But he started this idea of utopia by enslaving somebody. But he enslaved the Gauls. And that's why we had these programs a few months ago that explains all this. And you can go look, look back and listen to this. Everything fits together when you start understanding all the pieces of the puzzle of history. And then you, then when you look at your own news, your own events of today, you'll see, well, that's just like then, and this is just like then. <laughs> and so then you can make a connection of what were Christians really doing, and then you'll know what the solution is. It's the solution, the salvation that Christ brought. But John the Baptist was opposed to using force, but wanted you to use that friendly disposition, that faith, hope, and charity. And uh, it, when it comes to sharing you know, clothing or lodging or uh, food, etc., it had to be done by charity. Jefferson promotes that, which is you know the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore a man to his natural rights. He knew that. He understood that. Just as Polybius knew that when people become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, that they would lose their natural rights and fall prey to despots and tyrants. So this welfare through charity by Americans that was going on back in the 1800s, back in the 1700s, they would have never won the American Revolution if that was not already the case amongst Americans. At least 30% of them were doing that. And at varying degrees or other, the other 30% or so were also doing it. There's always a certain element that wants to live off the back of others. And just as the Romans enslaved the Gauls, which were all white people, by the way, <laughs> many Americans allowed the enslavement of many blacks. Now, most Americans had no black slaves. Uh, it was only like 4% of Americans ever even owned slaves. And many people who owned slaves were black themselves. As a matter of fact, one of the first men to own slaves, legally owned slaves in America, was a black man. And, and there were no blacks taken from Africa that weren't first sold by a black man. So it's not like whites instituted slavery. And there were more whites sold into Africa as slaves than ever were bought by Americans out of Africa. Slavery was just all over the place. And it's always been around. And it's around still. Because most of these people that are, you know, oh, white uh, slavery, uh, you know, slaving the blacks and built on the shoulders of blacks, those same people are all for FDR's New Deal, which makes everybody of the working class a slave to everyone of the slothful class. That's right. Because FDR's New Deal is Caesar's old deal, is Pharaoh's old deal, where a portion of your labor 
goes to the government. Now, originally they started with like 1.3% or some really small uh, fraction, and then the employer was supposed to put in a matching uh, figure of that. But now it's already up to 14 just for Social Security. And, of course, if you read our articles that explain and, and quote right out of the Social Security Act, quote, the man who wrote the act explaining that it's not insurance and that and you will begin to understand that it's a Corby system of statutory bondage, just like the bondage of Egypt. And it's why you're in debt. It's why your children are in debt. And, it, and because you are billions and trillions of dollars in debt, and you have put your children in debt, you have, inc- you have cursed them, and you yourself have become human resources, all because of the covetous practices of desiring benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other to provide you with the wages of sin, the wages of unrighteousness. And it's all done through public religion, which is the welfare state. So the Bible tells us that pure religion is taking care of the needy of a Christian society, and, and the needy are often widows and orphans because the family is broken down, but it doesn't have to be. It could be the stranger in your midst, all kinds of people. You're to take care of them through charity, which means you don't give a $500 to an alcoholic who will be dead by morning because you gave him so much money. What you want to do is say, look, you need help. We'll help you. Let's go get you something to eat. Let's get you some coffee. Let's get you a job. One of the things I was talking to somebody uh, about this millionaire is trying to help out people. The first thing you want to do, if you have somebody that's having a hard time and they need help, etc., you want to get that person helping others. AA, they understand that. You The, the reason... Things are falling apart. It's because you don't care about others as much as you care about yourself. We have to reinvent, revitalize, breathe life into care for others. That's why you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Why Moses said that. Why Jesus said that. And so you have to give people a sense of value. That value comes from helping other people. So if you're really going to help other people, that's what you have to do. That same principle... That gimmel, that cause and effect, actually is a part of your health. If you want to improve your health, the same principle has to be applied into that. The same as the health of your society, the health of your family, etc. So, uh, PragerU is wrong uh, because he doesn't understand the difference between church and religion. He doesn't understand between religion today and religion 200 years ago. He doesn't understand the difference between religion of the Pharisees and the religion of Jesus Christ. He doesn't even understand, because he's Jewish, he doesn't even understand the difference between the religion of Moses and the religion of Saul. Because they weren't the same. Saul and other kings that came after Saul, or the religion of Caesar, was free bread. Provided by men who exercise authority, who force the offerings of the people. Herod did it. Saul did it. Nimrod did it. Cain did it. Christ did not. Christ operated by faith, hope, and charity. There's your distinction right there. 
This is why Christians were persecuted by Rome because they were making the Romans look bad because they were doing a better job with their perfect law of liberty and the free will offerings than Rome was doing with his forced offerings. Because Rome's system drew a corrupt administration, an administration. So if we go back to early Israel, which was considered a republic, where the leaders were titular and uh, separate. Uh, there was no king. There was no president. There was no prime minister. And uh, the, each man was king in his own house and to his own family. And his wife was queen, his wife and bride. And he, as husband and groom, were no more twain, but one flesh. They they were a team, working together to be fruitful, create more children, take care of those children. And of course, because of the fact that we live in uncertain times, uncertain world, they had to work together with their neighbors. So they had to care about not just their family, their children, but they had to care about their neighbor's children as much as they had to care about their own. You don't have to do that anymore. You just sign up. They'll automatically take your contribution from you. And what will happen is exactly what Samuel said. They will take and take and take and take. And you'll whine and you'll cry out because of the gods that you have chosen, the men, the exercising authorities, the ruling judges that you have chosen for yourself. And God will not hear you. And the truth is they will not hear you either. So, how did early Israel work? How did the early church work? Well, they had a Corbin, but it wasn't like the Corbin of the Pharisees, which was a forced offering, but it was a free will offering. That's what you see, the word Corbin translated free will offering. There's a lot of times they just translate it offering, but it is free will offering. Because you tithe to the minister of your choice according to his service. They didn't have taxes, they had tithing. And that that tithing is a choice. They, they say, well, it has to be 10%. Well, you say it has to be 10%. What the Bible actually says is that you have to care about, you know, your neighbor. And the Bible, Bible also says that you only tithe to them according to their service. If they give you 2% service, they don't get 10%. And the reason they call it a tithing isn't because... You have to give, if all things are equal, you might give them 10%, but it's very clear that you might also give them 20% or 30% in different times. And certainly if you're wealthy, you could afford that because you would still have plenty to eat and you could afford to give even half of everything you got, which we see men talking to Jesus about. And that's fine. But it's free will offering. It's creating a different kind of society, a different kind of mindset. It's not degenerating the people. It's restoring their natural rights. Why? Because they care about the natural rights of their neighbor as much as they care about their own. Now, you can imagine how many people would hear me say that and they have got no clue. They can't, they can't even compute this. If you're beginning to compute this, then you need to put it into practice. You need to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start learning what it means to really live by faith, hope, and charity, by love. Through the perfect law of liberty. With a daily ministration of righteousness. 
of righteous welfare, like a band of brothers, and not by the legal bonds of force and fear and oaths of fealty. You need to start attending to the weightier matters. That's what Christ condemned the Pharisees because they did not attend to the weightier matters. What is that? Weightier matters are law, judgment, mercy, faith. See, you do not have true law without judgment, without mercy, and without faith. I know of a district attorney, and I guess they're all over the country now, they have decriminalized crime. They don't want to prosecute people who commit real crimes. People who rape children get off scot-free with this guy. He he isn't going to convict them. He isn't going to prosecute them. Because, oh, you have to be forgiving. And, of course, he goes out and rapes again. Well, where was your compassion for the person that this guy went out and raped again? There is none. So you have to have judgment. But if it's going to be real law, it also has to have mercy. But it also has to have faith. And again, faith, what is that? And we could go into that, but we got to get through this because uh, I was wondering if uh, if I went back to the station. Yeah, people are still there. They're still hearing us, but unfortunately it's not recording. But that's okay. Maybe I can talk about things you won't hear elsewhere. <laughs> so... Anyway, the uh, now this is this is one of the amazing things. Christ understood this. Moses understood this, and it's actually in. And I'll have to put more notes in here, so that you'll have more connections. I actually have links to other articles that should take you to this. Uh, I probably don't have one of the important ones, which is the the Levites. Who are the Levites? And the Levites were not necessarily a singular tribe. There was a tribe of Levites who, when Moses called the people out of the golden calf, uh, the camp of the golden calf, the walled-in camp of the golden calf, and, of course, if you're a first-time listener, you have to know that the golden calf was a part of a central bank. It wasn't a bunch of people going around bowing down to a statue. That's not idolatry. We just talked about that this morning. The Bible, the New Testament, tells you covetousness is idolatry. And see, that's what they were doing. Is they were taking everybody's wealth and they were putting it into a single statue to buy the loyalty of everybody in the community. That's covetous. They wanted to have that one purse, a common wealth under the control of the banks because Aaron knew the arts of the temple and the temple in Egypt was a bank. And it just said the temple of Ephesus was a bank. Uh, the Temple of Jerusalem was a bank. Uh, these are all depositories with big, huge treasuries. And uh, they actually functioned to some degree as a bank. It may not be like, uh, you know, the Wells Fargo down on the corner, but uh, it was a bank. Uh, it was your treasury. It was your gustaphone, eventually, your your royal treasury. But anyway, the Christian conflict was with the way of Christ, which was the opposite of the way of Balaam and the way of the Nicolaitan, which conquers you, which of course is what Peter was saying, that through covetousness you would be made merchandise. If you've been made merchandise, then that's 
that's becoming a conquered people. Now, the Gauls were conquered by an actual army. And they were chained up and sold into bondage. And that's one way to conquer. But the, the worst way to be conquered is through covetous practices, which are a snare. Through the table of benefactors who exercise authority. They can conquer you too. Pharaoh conquered the people of Israel. But he didn't do it with a sword. He did it with benefits. You want benefits? I'll give you benefits. But you have to waive your right to a portion of your labor. Done deal. Well, Christians, if they join the church established by Jesus Christ and look to the church established by Jesus Christ, especially the Jews that lived in Judea, that were a member of the temple of Judea, which were not just Jews in Judea. It could be Jews in Rome. It could be Jews in Corinth. It could be Jews in Galatia who were members of this network of legal charities set up by Herod and the Pharisees, if they got the baptism of Jesus Christ, they were cast out of that system. They, they literally could leave that system in which they were bound. Because that was the rules that they set up. We see it in the Bible. So now they're cast out. But they have to set up their own system. And, of course, they were having trouble setting that up to some degree. Uh, we see it in Acts 6 that uh, some Greeks far off were being neglected. And he showed them a way. And we could explain to you in detail what that way is. But everything is based on the fact that you create free assemblies that move in the direction of helping one another, taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Now, many people might join the network now, but many of them will fall away during hard times. Some will stick it out during hard times because they're hard times. But nobody will succeed unless they are willing to lay down a portion of their life for their fellow man. In order for people to trust you, you need to trust others and you need to practice that trust. Practice that faith. Practice that pure religion in order to create a system of righteousness. So, let's see, am I going to have, yeah, I have enough time here to get into this. Uh, so I have an article and I'm, when I edit this, I'm going to go through a lot of this and, and put in. One of the things that Israel, when it called out the Levites, uh, it it ended up creating cities of refuge. This, The cities of refuge, we have a whole article that explains this in detail, goes back to the Hebrew and shows you. The cities of refuge, there are 48 contiguous cities of refuge in Judea. Now, of course, you could apply that principle all over the world, but uh, I always thought it was interesting, these cities of refuge. And it wasn't about, if you can run really fast, you can get away with murder. Because if you get to the city of refuge, they can't kill you. no. It's about appealing to the cities of refuge because the cities of refuge were actually a part of your appeals court. In some local communities, your local courts, which are based also on that tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, that's where the jury system came from, that judge fact and law in local disputes, they can become corrupt. And they they may not be providers of real justice. 
So, if you're convicted in a local court, you could appeal up to the nearest city of refuge. And if they accepted your appeal, nobody could execute you or execute the punishment until the case was heard in the cities of refuge. So, who are those judges? It's not like your Supreme Court now where you can have a woman there who's asked, how do you how do you know somebody's a woman? And she says, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. Uh, and they get, these judges that they're picking now are going to decide what is good and evil for you. Because they are ruling judges. They are the gods of your courts. When Jesus said, ye also are gods, he was talking about cities of refuge. But who's going to be manning your cities of refuge, your appeals courts, if you actually get to the point where you're taking care of the needy through faith, open charity, and, and there are dirts crossing the land, and there's shortages of food, and shortage of fuel, and shortages of life-giving things that you may need? Where are you going to go? You're going to say, well, I'm separate. I'm a sovereign citizen. Nonsense. Uh, you know, I, I have... I've gotten back all my natural rights because I filled out the right paperwork. Nonsense. Have you repented? Are you seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Do you care about other people's rights as much as you care about your own? Are you coming together to save others or just save yourself? This tells me whether or not you're connected to the real sovereign or not. I'm not a sovereign. I'm a servant of Christ. But the cities of refuge were manned by that network of men of charity. Men who daily attended on a local basis to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. So they were really interested. They had a track record of being interested in righteousness and in love and in forgiveness and in justice. And this gives you a wholly decided different approach to your system of courts. Now, in order to get to a place where people are actually doing that in a righteous sort of way, we're unfortunately going to go through some very hard times. And so we need to understand what it looks like. So, one of the things that God said the Levites, because the people were going back and they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to Egypt and uh, they were doing that by setting up a central bank, the Golden Calf, and people were becoming subject to this system. And Moses said, no, that isn't what you do. But then he called out when he came down and saw this, he called out those who would follow the way. And most of the people who came out were Levites, so then he took from that group of people and taught them to be the ecclesia. They're the called out. That's what ecclesia means, the called out. These are the, this is the church in the wilderness. Jesus called out certain people to be the servants, the bond servants of his kingdom. They were appointed a kingdom. But not to exercise authority, it's a kingdom of faith, hope, and charity. They had to be separate from the world. And that's how you get to pure religion. And I don't know if I can get it across to you. Maybe we will end up doing a little bit more. And I'll, I'll, I don't really think I should put it all in one place. 
But if you read Matthew 25:32, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Uh, so, did Christ exclude interaction with man's government or even the unbelievers with his call for separation? Well, he excluded the idea of coveting your neighbor's goods through the exercising authority of government. He excluded those who wanted to practice pure religion and those who wanted to practice the religion of Babylon and the religion of the Pharisees that makes the word of God to none effect, which is the religion of FDR and LBJ. It's a religion where men exercise authority, force the sacrifices of the people and exercise authority. We should be separate from that. But for everybody just to go cold turkey from that, I don't think most of you are ready. And they weren't ready for it when they were in the bondage of Egypt, which is why God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh because they were going to have to go through hard times to learn what it meant to be a free people. And even after that, they still had a lot more to learn when they got out to the desert. Well, you guys have as much or more to learn than them. So you're going to have to figure there's some hard times. But the more you're diligent in that pursuit of the way, the more likely it is that you may get to that. But of course, if you're coming in the name of Christ, you're not coming to save yourself, but to save others. Christ did say, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He also said, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And one of the things that be God's is the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. So you may have to do both. But the reality is, at least for a while, they're going to try to tamper with that as well. You you can actually end up owing less taxes if you form congregations of free assemblies and connect them with ministers who are obeying the commands of Christ. But you will find it more and more necessary not to be taking the benefits of the world. But that's that's where you're working towards. And it's going to take some faith. It's going to take some courage. It's going to take some sacrifice. But that's the only way to restore those natural rights. You can't restore those natural rights with paperwork. And people need to understand that. So, Paul, when talking uh, to the Corinthians, he said... Wherefore, come out from amongst them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean things, and I will receive you. The unclean things are meat with blood in it. And, of course, we just did several shows that explain that meat with blood in it is those sacrifices of the people that provide your welfare through forced offerings. That's meat with blood in it. That's the meat, the dainties of the king. He's providing that by taking away from your neighbor or maybe taking away from Ukrainians or, you know, um, or Vietnamese or whoever they were taking the natural resources of. And so you need to do that for God to receive you. And when God receives you, he will show you other ways out. Like, for instance, if there was a way to produce power, energy, that was uniquely efficient, 
it, it could be revealed to those people who are already listening to what God says about all these other things that I'm talking about. But if you're not going to listen to God in these simple things of faith, hope, and charity, why would God show you other things? Why would he empower you if you were going to spend your life taking away the power of your neighbor, taking away the right of your neighbor to choose? You, the perfect law of liberty is pursued by you so that you will someday be at liberty. Protecting the natural rights of others is the way in which your natural rights will be restored. Caring about the life of others is how you save your life, by laying down your life to care for the life of others. Many people use this single line in Second Corinthians 6.17 to justify not paying Caesar and even dishonoring the vows of their fathers. You have gone back into the bondage of Egypt. You owe the tax. You owe the tax because you took the benefits. You got free school. You probably didn't take care of your parents. Uh, you, you get all kinds of benefits. And that's what brings you back into bondage. Through covetousness, they shall make merchandise of you and return you to the elements of the world and the yoke of bondage. Where you wake up someday and you find yourself unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why are they unbelievers? Because they believe in force, fear, and fealty. They don't believe in the Sabbath. Oh, they count days, but they, they're all in debt. Uh, they don't honor their father and their mother. They do no more odd for their parents in many cases because they got the government taking care of their parents. We were not to even have fellowship with the unrighteousness of such people. But we do. And we are a part of their world. Many of us. Some of us have repented a few years back and are trying to do the right thing. But uh, it's, it's not about getting out of taxes because you may pay a lot more. At least to start because it's been so long since you've actually paid an honorable tithing. You know, paying tithing to a church that's lulling people to sleep makes you a funder of the profits of the beast. <laughs> so, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship have the righteous with the unrighteous? And what communion hath the light with darkness? Well, if you're applying to them for their benefits, that's your communion. Communion is the sharing of bread. I have an article uh, in the next paragraph linked to fellowship. The word here for fellowship, here in 2 Corinthians 6.14, only appears once in the Bible. The word is the Greek word matuche, and has to do with sharing and, and a communion. Communion is what you, you know, when you go to get your welfare check, that's your communion. And is from the word metocho, and uh, which is uh, normally uh, translated be partakers, take part in, to be or become partakers. So if you don't want to be partakers of their system, you need to create a system of righteousness, which is what Christ was doing. 
and which Christians today are not doing. They're, they're dependent entirely upon, in most cases, entirely upon a system of forced offerings, which is making the word of God to none effect and is certainly unrighteous. They're entirely dependent upon their covetous practices for their daily bread. That the churches do not care for the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. Normally, the word in the Bible for fellowship is uh, koinonia. And it also has to do with communion. But more in the sense of community and association. The Greek word matacho especially has to do with partaking. As in eating at the same table or eating of the same table. It's sitting down and eating with those rulers and being partakers of his dainties instead of putting a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats. Your preachers aren't telling you this. So eating of the benefactors who set their table by exercising authority is contrary to Christ, Moses, even Proverbs, where we uh, are told to put that knife to our throat. And I have links in the article that will take you there. What and to who was Paul talking to and why? Paul's friend Erastus was a public treasurer of Corinth by the name of Erastus. He was trying to influence all of Corinth to switch to a system of Corbin that would make the word of God to effect rather than the system of Corbin, the system of sacrifice that they were engaged in at that time, which was a covetous practice that was not based on free will offerings, but was based on force, fear, and fealty. And it had made the people merchandise. So he was trying to get people to repent of that and go the other way. And he was trying to influence them to do that. And and I think probably a great many of them did. And there were other city-states where you could do that because Christianity was recognized as a true religion. The church was simply the called out, the ecclesia. It was all the congregations of the people who practiced pure religion that was shaking up the Roman Empire. The modern Christians don't practice pure religion. They are heavily dependent upon the benefactors who exercise authority. That's why today the modern Christian is the Nicolaitan of today. They have followed the ways of Belial, of forced offerings. They have not followed the way of the perfect law of liberty. They are not following the Ten Commandments. But they are making covenants and agreements with unbelievers and going back into the bondage of Egypt. They've been doing that for a long time. Now, I'm, I'm coming along and we're pretty far down that road. But if you repent and seek the kingdom of God and persevere to the end, I believe your natural rights could be restored. But if any of you will be restored for your children and your grandchildren and your neighbor's children and grandchildren, because we're going to have to go through hard times. But God may intervene. But you have to be earnest in your pursuit of righteousness. And it is no guarantee. That's why it's a journey of faith. So, we of his church, like Israel, are supposed to be this priest to all nations. And if you go read our article on Levites, you'll see that the Levites belong to God. They didn't belong to 
capital S state, or they didn't actually even work for the small S state, which is you. It's all the individuals. That's the small S state. Where some of the state, this is the ultimate division of power. Some of the power of the state is in the hands of every individual. And if they need to do something together, they have to know how to come together. And that's why you create those social bonds so that in a minute, they can come together and stand up for what's right. But the Levites have to be separate from both those states. And that's part of that legal reason which I mentioned earlier that was not on the station recording, but maybe on our recording. (laughs) But anyway, we're getting down to what is the end of the hour. And I'm getting down to the end of the page. But First Timothy 5, 8, it does say, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And going to men who exercise authority, going to the government who borrows against the future of your children, is not providing for your own house. It's taking away from the house of others. It's taking away. It's taking a bite out of one another. And I, and so the danger of that is that you will be devoured. But you have been devoured. You own nothing. And you think you're happy. And then I come along. <laughs> and I'm upsetting your delusion. But when Christ comes along, you will be way better off. So anyway, thank everybody for coming. Uh, thank you for joining us, and I'm going to say peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. Peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.